You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. In the silversmith's shop, an engraver works alongside the master, adding embellishments and designs to fine silver pieces. An engraver might also illustrate copper plates with detailed images, which would then be used to create prints of famous scenes. Lynn Zalesnikar is our guest today, and she practices both aspects of the engraver's trade. Lynn, thank you for being here today. Ah, thank you for having me. So as I've said, you are an engraver who's, who's accomplished on many fronts, and probably the, the engraving that, that most people are familiar with in association with silversmith's trade would be sort of embellishments made to silver pieces. What are some of the things that you might engrave? Uh, typical engraving for what we do in the silversmith shop is monograms, coats of arms, family crests, uh, inscription work. Uh, and any of the other ornamental uh, work that might be desired, floral work, scroll work. Um, so pretty much anything you want. What kind of so. objects do you find yourself engraving most frequently? Uh, probably the number one thing for the 18th century as well as today are things like spoons and jewelry, the smaller objects. Uh, cups as well. Uh, kind of work your way up to the larger objects, but we sort of do them all today. I stopped by and saw you in the silversmith shop and you were showing me some of your tools. You said they're very unchanged. The tools that you use today are almost the same as your counterpart would have used in the colonial era. Right. The, the gravers that we're using, gravers are sometimes they're called burns. Uh, it's a, just a very sharp piece of steel, relatively short, just a few inches long, and a wooden sort of mushroom style handle. And it's pushed by the heel of the hand driving through uh, the silver or gold or whatever material is required. And uh, very, very little changes, you're right. A um, little bit aesthetically with the, the handles, but that's about it. Well, the tool must have yeah. to be harder than silver. What is the tool made of? Uh, it is a steel. It's a hardened steel. Um, and pretty much any material metal-wise can be cut with that push graver. Uh, don't typically see it as often on steel itself. It needs a little more drive. So then a, a hammer and chisel style of the same tool, a um, little modification to the length of the tool and the angles, um, but again, driven with a, a very small little hammer, uh, more akin to a, a gunsmith's engraving or uh, a knife maker doing ornamental work on steel. You're doing most of this freehand. How did yeah. you learn to do it? Uh, lots of practice. <laughs> I was really fortunate. Uh, the master hand engraver, uh, Herbert LaFountain at the time here at Colonial Williamsburg, uh, was looking for an apprentice and I served a 10,000 hour apprenticeship with him and probably the first year or more was exclusively drawing and design work. And then that evolved into uh, learning how to make those tools uh, use them properly, technique, and then putting all those two pieces together and creating anything that can be drawn. So uh, design and um, drawing work is a huge part of the engraver's trade. It must help if you already have an artistic background or Absolutely. talent. Yeah. Is your apprenticeship similar to what would have been apprenticed in the 18th century? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't have any definite time frames for engravers, but kind of going along looking at other trades very similar, goldsmiths, silversmiths, uh, you know, any of the, the metalworking trades, almost seems a good average for the 18th century of about seven years. Uh, mine was a little shorter, uh, but I was sort of in a, uh, a room uh, very isolated. We were away from the public, uh, so we were able to sort of push that along a little bit faster. And the drawing skills, uh, I was lucky that a lot of the drawing requirements Mr. LaFountain was uh, having me complete, I was able to kind of push through pretty quickly. So that was helpful. Yeah. One of the particularly special things that you're doing in the silversmith shop now is engraving copper plates. Can we just talk about what that is? 
uh, and then the, and then the process of it. When you talk about engraving a copper plate, this is actually how you make an image that's going to be shared in the 18th century. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something that I, I started doing. Uh, when I was still an apprentice with uh, Mr. LaFountain, just sort of dabbling in it. Let's kind of get an idea of what the copper plate engraver does. So we were cutting uh, a few plates sort of off and on in reverse, and that's sort of the key with the printing work is everything you cut in must be replicated uh, backwards once it's printed out. And it sort of started there, but uh, several years ago we had an opportunity in the silversmith shop to work um, a program called Metalworking for Revolution. And it was a really neat conference. We had all the metal workers in the historic area took part in this. And we wanted to do something with silversmith shop. And not a lot of silver is being produced during the revolutionary period. So we naturally looked to Paul Revere and his engraving of the Boston Massacre, or as he titles it, the Bloody Massacre. And every kid in history at some point, American history, is going to study that print. And that's really what got the ball rolling with really getting into the copper plate trade and, you know, looking at a, a different aspect of engraving, but just a natural expansion. So just for people mm -hmm. who might not be familiar with the prints yes. and engravings, Paul Revere was a Boston silversmith, mm -hmm. and he created this engraving on copper plate in reverse mm -hmm. that then y you uh, put on a, pr a press. You put ink on it and put it on a press. Right. So and this is how you would share like, um, well, like a poster or make an illustration in a book or absolutely. a picture for your wall? Mm -hmm. all, all of those, yeah. So the, the sort of the basics of it, you, you're cutting the imagery into the plate in reverse, the, the line itself is where the engraving is going to be produced from. So very much in opposite fashion of the way the printing shop is working, where the typeset, the lift of that typeset is what's being inked. So we're looking at that reverse. The ink is sort of smeared, if you will, onto the copper plate that has been warmed, so it'll accept the ink down in all those little crevices. The excess ink is scraped away. And barehanded, I'll go through and buff that plate with a light dusting of chalk dust and that'll lift or polish the rest of the plate. So all that's left is little fine lines filled with ink. We'll warm the plate an additional time, add paper over top of that, and run it through a rolling style press. So even the press is a little different. It's gonna, instead of having that downward pressure, it's gonna have this huge uh, wooden roller in the 18th century that's gonna pass over that plate, forcing that paper down into the cuts, almost like a, an, an embossed image. So this started for you with the Bloody Massacre yeah. print. How did that? How did it develop from there? Well, we uh, had great success with the turnout. Uh, the prints were coming out uh, really clean. Uh, we were comparing to an original print that we have here in Colonial Williamsburg's collection, which was a, a fantastic find to study and working with our curatorial staff there, uh, being able to sort of spread ourselves out with other areas of the museum. And uh, we started looking at other printers uh, other engravers, you know, how, how, you know, does this evolve from, you know, kind of where we started. And I got interested in doing something a little less bloody and a little less uh, violent as the massacre. And uh, we started looking to botanicals. And uh, I found a woman engraver by the name of Maria Sabilla Mirian. Uh, she's an incredible artist of the 18th, or actually 17th century. And she's uh, comes from a long family of printers, engravers, and painters, and she does some fantastic studies of insects and botanicals at that time. So we uh, picked a couple of images, one being a pepper plant as well as a cacao plant. Um, if you like chocolate, that's where your chocolate's coming from. 
And uh, so we've now done the two additional prints and we've got definite plans to continue with this process of copper plate work. So after we talked about the process, how mm -hmm. you transfer the outline of the image onto um, onto your paper, then you illustrate it yourself. You you paint it in. Right. Yeah. They're coming out with a. It's a, a, a pretty stark black and white image. Um, think of almost just a, a pen and ink drawing. You're just getting sort of this. Uh, there's no grayscale to it at all. So to create sort of the life of those imagery, especially looking at the Boston Massacre, you want sort of that, that punch of color to, to really make it come alive. Uh, when we start looking at botanicals, there's just such a, uh, a characteristic of those colorings that you really need to, to catch the eye, but, you know, really bring life to it. So then we have to watercolor them. So many, many years of watercoloring finally paid off, you know. And uh, so I'll sit down and hand watercolor each print. Uh, and we're using a, a tint, um, a, a palette that is something we know is from the 18th century, so we really are trying to mesh that uh, technique as well. Um, certainly not my strongest point. Uh, we want to concentrate on the engraving, um, but we want to take it that one step farther. The pieces are beautiful, but it strikes me too that this is actually a very vital trade in the 18th century because you don't have a lot of ways of sharing and duplicating images. Right. This is basically the Xerox machine and photography of the 18th century. Uh, paintings are fantastic. Woodblocks, we definitely see that type of engraving. Um, you know, there's always that relay of image, but if, you know, we want to see it taken a little more detailed, and um, certainly, like you had mentioned earlier about um, uh, illustrating books, you know, if you want those illustrations done for an encyclopedia or um, propaganda like uh, Paul Revere is creating, you know, it's definitely something that the engraver is going to be called to do. can be very powerful. Absolutely, yeah. And I would like to say, you know, the, the push style of engraving that I'm doing is, is not the only type of engraving to produce this type of imagery. We'll also see mezzotint engraving. Um, we'll see etchings. A lot of folks, uh, that term is kind of thrown around pretty loosely. Um, but that's actually a chemical process. We do see it absolutely in the 18th century, and, and we don't want to discount that. Uh, but the push style of engraving is uh, something we're going to see uh, ready at hand. And for the type of engraving that I'm doing, it's uh, definitely something we can do in front of the public, which is really what we want to share. And we can do it safely and uh, create the same imagery from uh, the period that we're portraying. So you've sort of resurrected this trade here for us mm -hmm. in Colonial Williamsburg's revolutionary city. Right. <laughs> um, is this something that would have been common to many silversmith shops during the colonial era? I don't think so. Not here in Virginia. We don't really have much of evidence for it. We do know some of this copper plate work is being done in the colonies. Uh, but again, you know, the evidence is just really slim. Uh, a lot of this type of work is really something we're seeing contracted through engravers in Europe uh, more often than not. So. so how does it come to America? Is there a master engraver that, that, uh, that travels here? <laughs> uh, there's quite a few engravers. I would almost say that those engravers are, are not specializing as they were in England. So the engraver that might have been doing copper plate work might be going back into doing silver work, you know, cutting those monograms and coats of arms. Same technique, it's just, you know, a different bit of medium and uh, different product. Well, it's more than just something lovely to hear about. This is also something lovely and authentic to the 18th century that you can own. You sell these prints. Absolutely, yeah. We didn't want to keep this to ourselves, totally. So it's something that we 
we definitely are, are trying our hardest to make it uh, available to anybody interested. And so we're trying to, uh, again, sort of find imagery that's uh, eye-catching today, you know, try to look at the 18th century product but make it in a, you know, very 21st century um, aesthetic, you know, that would, uh, you know, look nice on your living room wall or your dining room. And um, we're going to kind of continue in that vein and trying to find more products that were there in the 18th century with those prints that somebody might like to have today. Um, the silversmith shop can uh, uh, make that happen. The Golden Ball, who we're attached to in the historic area, are already selling two of our prints, and shortly uh, we'll have the third print in there and any additional ones. Uh, Lynn, we hope folks will come by and see you in the historic area, the engraving work that you do, as well as the other work that's done in the silversmith shop. Where is your shop located? We are located on the Duke of Gloucester Street. Uh, we are at the sign of the Golden Ball. It's the James Craig Silversmith Shop, right between the Millinery Shop and the Raleigh Tavern. Um, we're pretty much there every day, 9 to 5, and um, come down and see us. And we can also find you on Facebook and keep up with your progress. Absolutely. We've jumped into the 21st century. We just want to make sure that the, the two minutes of the project you're going to see when you come to visit us, you can continue to see how they evolve, and Facebook's allowed us to do that. Uh, what's the Facebook page called? Uh, the James Craig Silversmith Shop. Lynn, thank you so much for being our thank guest you. today. Thank you. Do you have a question or suggestion for the show? Leave a comment at podcast.history.org.